I believe that the definition of an entrepreneur was someone that jumped off a cliff and built a plane on the way down. <laughs> and I don't think I'm any different. And I think that's really my strength is kind of going all out at something and then figuring out what works and what doesn't work along the way. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Hey everyone, my name is Dorothy and it is an honor to welcome you here for episode 11 of the Do Well and Do Good podcast. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, if you and I have not yet connected, I would love to chat with you one-on-one. I really wanna get to know the listeners of the show and determine how I can make this the most valuable for you. So to schedule a call, you can find a link to my calendar in the pinned post at the top of our free Facebook group. You can find that group at dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. We're having a ton of fun in there, and I do hope that you'll join us. So now, today's guest is Ronsley Vaz. Ronsley went from being over $400,000 in debt to a seven-figure business in only three years. He is the founder of Amplify, which is an award-winning content marketing agency. But not only that, he's also the host of two podcasts, which combined have reached over 4 million listeners in 133 countries. That's Australia's number one food podcast, Bond Appetit, and the very meta podcast, Should I Start a Podcast? He's also an author and the founder of the first podcasting conference in the Southern Hemisphere. That's We Are Podcast, which is going down in Australia October 18th to 20th this year. Now, Ronsley also lives the values of do well and do good in a powerful way. He sits on the board for freetoshine.org, an organization that prevents sex trafficking by keeping girls in school and out of brothels. Now, without further ado, here's my chat with Ronsley. Ronsley, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so pumped to have you here. Dorothy, this is really cool. I, um, it's fascinating how this has come from meeting you in, uh, in the States to you launching the podcast, to you having the idea back then and, and finally launching it. It's, uh, it's cool to be part of the show. I appreciate it. Well, I'd love to kick things off by hearing what you're most excited about in your life right now. Uh, definitely, We Are Podcast. It's uh, coming up pretty quickly. I realized that there were 90 days for We Are Podcast and we hadn't released the tickets yet. So we made sure we did that pretty quick. So we released tickets last week. And you know, it's pretty exciting. This year is all about amplifying, influencing, and impacting. And we are set to release something pretty, I think that's pretty big and it's pretty relevant to, to your show. It's called Amplify Impacts. The idea that we contribute to the sustainable goals by 2030 by making an impact by the business that we do. If we reverse engineer what we do, we give our clients a voice. And uh, in return, we'd like to, for every voice that we put out there, we want to give a voice to kids who don't have one who've been trafficked or saved from sex trafficking or you know support them in, in that way. So every download that we or our clients get, we want to make an equal impact of food, water, shelter, education 
towards preventing sex trafficking. So the idea is to make a billion impacts by 2030. So 12 years. Yeah, so it's exciting. That's something I'm super excited about and, and weaving that into all the products that we do. So it's not like the client gives us the money to put towards that. We kind of judge performance based on how much impacts we make. That is unbelievable. Wow. So Amplify Impact is partnering with freetoshine.org then? Yeah. So, you know, two years ago, I had Nikki Mee, who was the founder and creator of Free to Shine on my podcast. And uh, she's been the only guest that made me cry on my own show. And it's because uh, she was telling me stories about some of the girls that have been saved and go through being trafficked and some of the problems that they have and some of the issues that they have. And I think a lot of stuff that, you know, we take for granted in how we live our lives is really fascinating. So first of all, I wanted to end that conversation because it was difficult to listen to. And just when I thought I'd change the topic, uh, Nikki says to me, thank you, Ronsley, for, for giving me the chance to be heard because not many people give me the opportunity before I go on stage. They tell me not to talk about this because it's a downer subject. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. So I had to sit there and listen and it got harder and harder to listen to. And I'm glad I did because um, as a result, I'm on now on the board and every We Are podcast, we make an impact. Last year, we, we made a, a massive impact. We saved a whole village, a whole new village by just the people coming to We Are podcast, which is insane. Every book that someone buys keeps a girl in school for a week, but we want to take that further and uh, yeah, defying backs is the next step. That is absolutely amazing. And I definitely want to get uh, deeper into what that organization does. But first, I'd like to talk a little bit about your journey and really how you ended up where you are today. And the way that you really completely transformed your own financial situation is truly inspiring. So taking it back to the start, could you tell me kind of what beliefs around money, whether they be conscious or subconscious, that your family instilled in you growing up and how that was either harmful or helpful to you in your success? Great question, because I did have a lot of issues around money. I felt money made you a bad person. And I think that was an ingrained belief, which I didn't really know until I did some work around it. I never wanted to associate with money. I have the story that I talk about a lot on some of my shows, but I did this values test and you know to figure out what my values were and spent three and a half hours answering these questions and I came out of the of the home office back then and I said to my wife, I said, uh, hey, do you know what my, my number one value is? And she didn't even look up and she's like, freedom. And I'm like, God damn it, I, I spent three hours on this thing. <laughs> I should have just asked you. Um, it was what was really fascinating for me was figuring out that freedom was my number one value and then figuring out that there are like a whole bunch of ways that money brings you freedom. And that's how I opened that sort of door to associating money with my highest value. And I think that was huge for me because I felt like this this floodgate opened in terms of opportunities. And I think I was selling myself short and didn't want to sell because I didn't really understand the role money played. And that, and I think that happens to a lot of us because we get these definitions of money from what we see in the media and what we, what we look around us. And, and that's not always the right way to see it. Were you an entrepreneur at that time? I mean, when you had this discovery, you know, freedom is what matters to me. Where were you in your journey at that point? I uh, just went through a failed restaurant 
with which left us um, $478,000 in debt. And yeah, it was um, at that point, I've been an entrepreneur for 12 years, but before that, I, was, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I always thought of myself as a nine to fiver. And the company I was working for paid for an, an MBA, which I did in the first sort of lecture, sort of flick a switch somewhere in my head and I saw opportunity everywhere. And, and then I went and started you know, my first business, which um, is really fascinating that we don't realize how the technical skills are in, involved in, in creating a business. So you can be a great dentist, lawyer, financial planner, accountant, mechanic, whatever. But when you go and start a business, there's all these other skills that you need, like accounting, finance, marketing, advertising, team, operations, culture. The list is endless, sales. And no one really tells you that. No one really tells you that you have to develop all these skills around creating a business and making a business sustainable. So my first business cost me that kind of money in education is the way I look at it. But I don't think I would have got that kind of education anywhere else. So I was in that point of recovery. That's why I was looking for answers and I was looking for it to be different. And I was changed. I was desperation was my friend at that point. So finding yourself over $400,000 in the hole after the restaurant, I mean, how did that impact your mindset around money? I mean, kind of where was your head at at that point when you're trying to figure out how to move forward? I'm not sure about money, but I very clearly remember a lack of self-worth. I very clearly remember feeling like I didn't have anything to give the world. And I think that lack of contribution got to me, which is interesting because it, in my head, the money wasn't the most important thing while it was. It was the fact that I couldn't contribute. I, couldn't, I, was, I was kind of useless uh, or felt useless. So that sort of translated to me finding worth and doing little things and building confidence to be able to get here, I suppose. And I think that's just all been a snowball effect. I think everyone thinks um, Amplify is an overnight success, but it took 11 years to make it. Yeah. And I, I think that's true of anything. It's easy to look at people who have achieved great things and think, you know, it just happened for them, but you don't see everything that's beneath the tip of the iceberg that it took to get them there. And so I want to dive into this a little more because I'm sure there are people listening who have debt and I know that it can often feel completely paralyzing and there are all these self-worth issues tied up into that. So, you know, if you're someone who's staring at your debt and you're staring at your paycheck and realizing, you know, gosh, this is going to take me a decade or more to, you know, pay off, it can feel like a mountain that's just too big to climb. So what advice would you give to someone who is, you know, maybe entrepreneurial, maybe not, but either way, they want to take control of their debt and not let it run their life? One step at a time, really. I, I did not say the figure out loud until it was all gone. So I did not think of it as a mountain to climb and maybe it was self-protection and maybe I didn't realize I was doing it either. I did not highlight how big the debt was to anyone, uh, including myself, while I was going through it. It was only once it was gone that I remember very clearly when I mentioned it for the first time, it was on stage at an event that I was speaking at and I was like, you know, um, this was the situation two years ago. It's also fascinating that if you wanted, you could get rid of half a million almost in debt in two years. I find that crazy. <laughs> But I think one step at a time, I don't think... So it, it's like, if you want to run an ultra marathon, you're not going to 
and you've never run before, you, you're thinking of the ultramarathon is just like the surefire way to not start anything. Start with the walk, start with you know 10 minutes. And I think that's what I suggest. What is the smallest thing you can do and do it quickly and Definitely the second thing is to follow your instinct and your gut because that doesn't go away. It's inherent in all of us and it's only when you stop listening to it that it quietens down. So the idea is to make sure that um, it guides it guides you. So what happened in those two years? Can you tell us the story of how Amplify was born? Actually, Amplify was born a little bit after that. But um, no, actually, Amplify was born towards the end of that two years the 26th of May, 2013 is when the rest shut. It shut overnight on us. We had service on Saturday. On Sunday, the locks were changed. And Tuesday, I had a job. And I had five jobs in six months. So I was obviously unemployable. But in that time, I did an entrepreneurial course called Key Person of Influence. And it was uh, I did a, a friend's website for free. And she bought me this ticket. And I landed up going to this thing and didn't didn't want to sign up because it was it was a lot of money and and my wife said to me I've not seen you so excited about something in a long time and I think you should sign up right now. In fact, I said no, but we can wait till April. And she's like, not now. And I signed up and it changed the way I thought. It made me hang out with different kind of people, which helped the process because otherwise you're just in your head. So being able to to go out and and be around different energies really really helped. And then I kind of started Bond Appetite, and, uh, which was the Uber for chefing. So we chefs that would plug in from one end and clients would plug in from the other end. And I used to be a chef, obviously, having my own restaurant. And I started a podcast to promote that business. And the podcast went crazy. We had a million listeners in about four and a half months and got plastered onto the banner section of iTunes. And then uh, when that happened, a lot of my friends who were business owners said to me, can you help me start a podcast? And I went, here's my Evernote folder. They're like, no, I don't understand any other stuff. Can you please help me start a podcast? And I decided to do this training program uh, called Broadcast Your Message and sold it before I actually created it and had 32 grand in a week in the account. And I went, wait a minute, this is interesting. And built on that training program and kept doing that and kept selling that idea to a whole bunch of people. Then in 2015, I started We Are Podcast, the conference, just because I couldn't afford to go to podcast movement because that was the first year podcast movement happened. And then um, in 2016, in February, I had the idea for Amplify. And I was like, why are there so many podcasters out there that stuff is not working for them? Like, Why is that not happening? And then I realized that there were a whole bunch of stuff that needed to be done before the podcast and a whole bunch of stuff that needed to be done after the podcast to make sure that it returned on investment. So I kind of pitched the idea to a whole bunch of um, friends, business owners, people that I had kind of an existing relationship either through the podcast or in some other way and uh, did not just said, you know, this is an idea. Uh, it's a seven-step process, but we'll do everything for you. And if you come on, as a beta client, I'll grandfather you in for life at 50% of what I would normally charge. And two and a half months, I had eight clients. And then one of them called me up and said, I need to introduce you to this friend of mine who could use what your services. What is your business called? And I went, I'm going to call you back because I didn't have a name. <laughs> <laughs> 
actually looked up powerful verbs on on the internet and did not get to B. Got to, like just got to A and it was amplified. I'm like that makes sense. Let's go. Let's <laughs> and then um, you know, Amplify was born. Uh, July I wrote the book and A M P L I F Y breaks up into seven steps. Uh, made it a framework. Uh, wrote the book. September the website went up. We had like 21 clients at the time. October, November, we won a whole bunch of awards. Um, October, the book got released. That's remarkable. (laughs) I think what is so interesting and important in that story is that you didn't wait to have all of these pieces in place to take action. You know, I think so often when people have an idea for a business, you know, they can spend months or a year or more um, worrying about the branding and the logo and the website and, you know, tweaking all of these things before they've even made a dollar. So how do you think about that? And do you think that that was part of why you had the success that you did? Yeah, I mean... In that same speech that I spoke about earlier, where I told everyone the the debt that uh, I had just gone over, one of the things I said in that speech, which was really fascinating, was that I believe that the definition of the entrepreneur was someone that jumped off a cliff and built a plane on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I'm any different. And I think that's really my strength is kind of going all out at something and then figuring out what works and what doesn't work along the way because you're going to have in my head uh, and I think it, it depends on personality personality but in my head we're going to have problems anyway you know we're going to have stuff we're going to deal with anyway might as well deal with it on the fly while you're responding to the market as opposed to having this idea in your head where it never goes out and you don't know how the market's going to respond and you don't know you don't have any any way of feedback to understand or perspective to be able to pivot and turn and change. And I think it happened two weeks ago. I was sick. I put out this crazy message on Facebook. that was like two lines. I got 160 comments. So I had to create a new training program to deal with that inflow of leads because we could not take you know one-on-one clients at that kind of level. I'm always responding. I think the challenge is to be able to stop for me. And I think some entrepreneurs fit into that category where they don't know the off button. So I know that you mentioned it was in 2015 that you hosted the first We Are podcast conference. So I can only imagine the number of podcasters in Australia who saw that there were zero events for them where they lived. You know, they just like you couldn't go to podcast movement, do these other things, but they just said, you know, well, that sucks and, and let it go. You actually went out and created your own. So what were the biggest challenges in getting that first event off the ground? Well, wow. I had my biggest growth spurt, I think, as, a, as an entrepreneur in, in that year. I had two fetal position moments that I remember uh, in, <laughs> in the build-up to a podcast that because I had never run an event before for two people, like on a conference. So it was definitely you know way out of my depth, and I wasn't worried about losing money. I was worried about these brands that lent me their credibility and their trust, and if you know no one came, I would get I would be dragging them all down with me. So. I, I just spoke to a whole bunch of people who had done events before and every single one of them told me not to do it. And when I when they said that, I asked them why and they started listing a whole bunch of reasons why and I just kept writing all those reasons down and I just had a backup plan for every one of them. And 
that's how you know we our podcast launched we did lose like about i don't know 15 17 grand in year 1 <laughs> so not only did we not have money we went negative uh, for me it's like christmas i get a chance to hang out with some really cool people it's built ever since and you know having amplify on the back end of that really helps and it it does having a platform to be able to give some podcasters and i think that that's really cool i just have to ask can you share with us one of those fetal position moments <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't really remember much other than me lying on the floor like kind of you know, <laughs> not knowing what the next step is and kind of asking myself why did I embark on this journey and 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 what made me decide to take this task on. But something that someone said to me, a, a really really good friend of mine, his name is Paul Dunn. Um actually, he would be really good to interview on your show. He runs an agency. He he runs a company called B1G1, which is buy one give one, and that's really something that that's sparked amplify impacts for sure because in in we in in 2015 that's where a lot of our giving went in 2016 a lot of our giving went to b1g1 and they have a whole bunch of projects that you can that are vetted by them so when you want to put stuff through b1g1 they all the money goes straight to the projects anyway he said to me i think after the first fetal position moment he said to me it's not about what you're trying to at Tempronsley it's that's not important what's important is the person you become as a result of trying to attempt that and that helped me change my perspective on on these uh, breakdowns that I was having so but yeah i mean made me stronger we you hear people talk about imposter syndrome and i think that that's something that so many people struggle with you know of thinking like who am i to start a conference you know who am i to do you know x y or z big dream but it's so true like no one everyone's making it up as they go along you know no one's really any better prepared to take on something of that magnitude and you know you really just need to jump into it head first the way that you did i feel like you know your big thing is your big thing and someone else has already don't compare your year 1 to someone's year 12 Right. So everything that you do Ronsley is really to support this goal of reducing uh, sex trafficking and keeping girls out of brothels. So I know that Free to Shine works to reduce vulnerability to sex trafficking by keeping girls in school. So could you tell us a little bit more about that organization and why there is such a great challenge in keeping girls in the education system? First of all I can't but I I I this this really gets me my my brain stops working because it the, I think the first time I I start thinking about sex trafficking it's like I can't believe that this is a uh, an industry which means a supply and there's demand which is just sad to start off with and I and and I just want everyone listening at the very least to understand how safe and secure we are in general and be grateful for that because um uh sex trafficking is a billion dollar a year industry like multi billion dollar a year industry the younger the girls the more expensive they are and it's just a stealer of innocence uh it's just uh one of those things that um i've never been able to relate to in fact i can i could take a story about murder but i couldn't take a story about rape it's always been in me that that sort of thing because you know it's like I don't know I don't know why that that sort of always sort of affected me but you know listening to sex trafficking uh, and the stories that happened there 
So what tends to happen is it happens usually in the poorest and remotest of villages in, in towns across the world. And the idea is that they sell the parents the idea of a better life for the kids and a better life for them by paying them for the kids that they don't, a lot of the times the parents don't know that the kids are going to that are going to get into the trade. They just know that they're going to the city for a better life. And to combat that, the best thing for these families and for these kids is for them to be in a community, for them to be in a community, uh, making sure that they go to school and they're accounted for every single day is a way to combat that. And then the best way to get to that point where the families actually think about education is to make sure that their basic needs are met, which is food, water, shelter, and clothing. So it's this journey of being able to support them from food, water, shelter, clothing to them taking them and making sure that they get educated and then making sure that that education helps them do amazing things, which you know now we're starting to see some of the, over the last few years, we're starting to see some of the results that Friedrichshahn has been able to achieve with girls going to university for the first time in their family's history. And I think, I think that's, that's pretty cool. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that can be made really with so little? You mentioned, I think, that one book sale could keep a girl in school for a week. Am I, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So when, when I wrote the book in 2016, it was all, all around the time when I just had this conversation with Nikki. And when I looked at what my book publisher gave me in terms of numbers, in, like if someone bought my book in, on, on Amazon, as an example, or Booktopia and all these different um, you know, bookstores around the world, or if they bought it online, there was like, I think, $8, roughly $8 that, that we would get as a result. So that was the lowest amount, if I'm correct. And I was like, well, $8 for us versus keeping a girl in school for a week, that's, not, that's a no-brainer right? We're not going to get rich with $8, but a girl could be kept in school for another week as a result. So that was a no-brainer to sort of put money towards that. Uh, so every time someone buys a book, we, we keep a girl in school for a week. And it's just like, I think it's under $8 if I'm, if I'm correct. And uh, yeah, that, that makes total sense. So how do you think that achieving professional success through your business has impacted your ability to give back and, and make an impact? One of the biggest fights that my wife and me had when the restaurant shut was that I did not stop giving. She's like, you don't, you don't even have, uh, we don't even have enough. Like why, you know, and, and I, couldn't, I can't even explain it. I just think that it should be part of business. Like our job as entrepreneurs is, to solve meaningful problems in the world. And as part of that, there are so many different ways that you can make an impact more over and above you serving your clients. So I used to always say at the restaurant, when I had the restaurant, that if I served a plate of food to a customer and five needs, which is you know uh, the five senses were hit, which is um, sight, sound, and touch, and taste, and smell, then I was just doing my job as a chef. If I say, my, my, why is your restaurant different? I just say, I serve good food. That's my job. I'm supposed to serve good food. You know, as a business owner, you're supposed to serve your clients. There's no, you don't need a pat on the back. You don't need a, a, a fucking cookie for <laughs> that, right? Um, so how can you take that one step further 
And there's so many different ways to take that one step further. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you have a phone. If you're if you have a phone, you like you know you're already in a position that you can do stuff. And I'm not saying that everyone should do stuff. I'm just saying that you should consider the impact that you can make as a result of doing business. And I'm not saying that our way is the right way, but there's so many companies out there from Tom's to you know, B1, G1, and, and some of those firms that are finding incredible ways to, to give back. Thank You Water is another one of them. Inspire Accountants is another one of them. They, they just do this kind of stuff and find a way to solve another problem, a meaningful problem in the world that's... Um, is something that they feel good about. Everyone, everyone feels good about it too. I love that. You know, one thing that I really want to come across to people who listen to this show is that you don't need to wait until you've achieved some arbitrary level of success to start giving back. You know, the fact that even when you were you know, finding yourself faced with all of that debt, you were still giving. You know, we can all start exactly where we are and start to figure out ways to you know help other people whether it be through you know only $8 keeps a girl in school for a week you know that's that's two cups of coffee at Starbucks you know and something that really almost all of us you know should be able to do and even if giving in a financial way isn't possible for someone in their current situation you know we all have our time as well and so there are so many ways to give back and there's really no amount that is too small you know if, if we can just give up two cups of coffee this week and and that's able to keep a girl in school it's it's so powerful and and something that you know we all I think need to think about deeply I think so. I, I definitely think so. At least be grateful and genuinely be uh, or acknowledge where you're at, being able to control the temperature in a room, being able to switch, flick a, a light switch on, uh, not having to worry about water, food, clothing, and shelter. So, yeah. Well, Ronsley, thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. Unfortunately, we are running out of time, so I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like for you to respond with the first answer that pops into your head. You ready? Yep. All right. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? Me. Love that. <laughs> And who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make a positive difference? I think I, I, I get inspiration from everyone around me. I, I think, you know, there's, there's inspiration. From, if, if you're willing to look, I think it's, it's everywhere. So um, you, can, you can get it from a stop sign. <laughs> then when you're having a bad day or you find yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? 10 minutes on the Calm app really, really helps. That's awesome. I love meditation apps and I haven't used Calm yet. What do you like about Calm? Well, I use, I use a timed Calm 10-minute meditation, which is not, is, it, it doesn't have anyone saying anything. It's just like this, this silence or, or this background noise for 10 minutes. And um, I try to pay attention to my breath and, 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 and my body. And, and I think just getting out of your head helps massively. It really does. Then what book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? The Obstacle is the Way. And I have a new one, uh, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Okay. What's that one about? 
it's about all the patterns that you grab through life that make up your personality and you think that that's just your personality but it's just the patterns that you've recognized and your body remembers so you keep doing them over and over again and there's a way to break that awesome well we'll link to both of those in the show notes and then lastly what is the worst piece of advice you've heard related to success and then on the flip side what's the best piece of advice you'd give to our listeners worst is build it and they will come that does not make sense um (laughs) Maybe you put some, you know, asterisks around it and 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 support it with some other thing, and maybe maybe that makes sense. But I don't believe that makes sense. The best piece of advice is definitely what I got from Paul Dunn way back in 2015. It's not about achieving the goal; it is the person you become as a result of attempting to achieve that goal. And uh, if you look at it that way, actually, there's another one. Uh, Nikki, me before my TEDx talk, which I was extremely nervous for asked me how, how was I preparing for it and I'm like Nikki I'm so nervous and she said one sentence that changed everything she's like Ronsley it's not about you and I was making it all about me and it wasn't so those are two massive awesome pieces of advice thank you Ronsley and as you know here on the show we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge and this is where we encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So can I safely assume that you'll be nominating Free to Shine? Of course. Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Well, we will absolutely link to that in the show notes as well. And before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about Amplify, and to follow your content? Mustamplify.com, ronsley.com.au, or just Google me, Ron Slivas. I'm pretty sure it'll come up. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been so much fun to have you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, everyone, that's our show. Now, before we sign off from our chat with Ronsley, any new listeners might be wondering how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. See, there are two ways that you can participate. So the first is if you are looking to do more to give back and want to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by our guests, including freetoshine.org, then make a donation and then send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co. Your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having in making the world a better place. Now, the second way you can participate is by voting. See, each month I donate 10% of my after-tax income to whichever one of the nonprofits nominated that you vote for. That happens inside of our free Facebook group, which you can find again at dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. Not only do we have the vote there, but I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. So that was dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you there. 